This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. From music to maps, money and modernity, this is where ideas come to life. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Southeast Asia Crossroads. I'm your host, Eric Jones, and uh, with me in studio are a few special guests. Uh, we have uh, Master Glennis White, almost, soon to be, <laughs> soon to be, uh, when, do you, when do you finish your music degree, Glennis? Uh, May 13th, Friday the 13th. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but who's counting? And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Glenn's a sort of uh, uh, world music graduate and uh, um, uh, students, uh, longtime student of the center, and um, and then we're here to talk to uh, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Glendinning, who uh, who gave a great um, all things gamelan uh, discussion about new flowers, Indonesian gamelan, American educations. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's excited to uh, we're. Um, Little, uh, little for the listener, uh, Glenister and I are not. Um, we can't. We have to be partisan about this because we are in the Gamelon Ensemble, and we're pretty jacked to talk to an expert. I'm pretty excited here uh, to. Uh, um, so tell us, tell us a little bit about your um, your position. You teach in a, in a world music program at Wake Forest. So I, um, I'm in the music department at Wake Forest University, and I teach world music and popular music survey courses, as well as our Balinese performing arts ensemble. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so that is, is, are we talking sort of music, dance, uh, Wayang? Uh, what, what, what's the, what's on the menu? Oh, it's, it varies based on the semester. Um, usually we focus on our Gamelan Angkon Kibyar, um, which is a Balinese percussion orchestra, um, five tone. So it's um, a, our mainstay. We also sometimes offer dance. Um, we've done things with bamboo angklung, which is from West Java, so, but we sneak it in. And um, no teaching of shadow puppetry yet, but we are very happy to once in a while get to host shadow puppeteers. So that's wonderful. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, we just had a we had a great. Uh, when was that, Glennis? We had a was that in the fall? We had a good shadow puppet uh, performance. I want to say it was November fifth. Yeah, all right. That's why it's that's why you're here. She knows <laughs> the dates. Uh, so maybe for our listeners who don't know, uh, as aren't enthusiastic as Glennis and I are about it, uh, but uh, what what is the what is the gamelan when we when we're talking about this gamelan ensemble? What is it? So gamelans are um, percussion orchestras from Indonesia. Uh, they're often called gong chimes because they have a lot of gongs and keyed instruments. And they're related to a number of other similar types of large percussion orchestras from across island Southeast Asia. What, what for I've had uh, um, sort of friends when they see pictures of uh, gamelan, they're like, "Oh, is that a marimba? Is that a xylophone? Like, what, 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 what are kind of the things that most people know that are like they they think are lateral relation related?" Yeah. So, like, um, there are keyed instruments that look like. Um, marimbas or xylophones, except for they're often made out of metal, um, so bronze or iron sometimes, Although, and there are some that are like wood or bamboo as well. Um, there are also gongs ranging in size from very small ones, um, sometimes they're put like flat horizontally, to giant hanging gongs, so that would be another thing that people notice often right away is um, lots of large gongs. And then there are other instruments, depending on the type of ensemble as well, uh, drums, bamboo flutes, um, sometimes things that look like fiddles, and uh, yeah, there's a whole range of other instruments that can come into play in the gamelan. So, wh- what is the what is the role of gamelan historically in kind of Indonesian society and maybe Bali in particular that that that, that you're looking at in this case? Sure, um, gamelan is performed primarily in Bali and Java. Um, And historically, it had a number of functions. Um, Back when there were royal courts in what's modern-day Indonesia, there were often gamelan ensembles that were associated with their courts. And 
took care of ritual functions, also played to entertain royalty. Um, they're also used for various religious ceremonies or life cycle ceremonies like coming of age, marriages, funerals. Um, and they still maintain those roles today, especially in Hindu Bali, where gamelan ensemble, along with um, shadow puppetry, dance, and sung genres, are important to maintaining ritual life. And and uh, and as you know, e- even even casual visitors to Bali would would notice that the the gamelan is a v- active and vibrant part of of the culture there. Would you say? Absolutely, yeah. It's a it's a major point of pride, uh, source of pride for the Balinese people. And um, not only could visitors hear gamelans practicing near their hotels, wherever they're staying on the island, um, in many places, but there are also performances that happen on a nightly basis. Um, some that are geared directly towards tourists, so tailored in length to be really a great first experience for people who are visiting and just want to check it out. Um, and they're don't also don't want to go in all night. Uh, and don't <laughs> want to go all night. Um, but for those who do, um, you can still see from time to time, if you're lucky and have a you know, good connection, um, you can see gamelan as performed for ceremonies or catch one of the big arts festivals because they're also new uh, big festivals in Bali that are dedicated to the traditional arts. So um, maybe we should we should talk about Glenside. When, when did you first hear the gamelan? Uh, what did you think? I remember uh, when I was a freshman, I saw the World Music Ensemble or the World Music Concert and the gamelan ensemble was playing, but I really didn't know what it was. I just remember seeing all the instruments and the large gongs, and I was thinking that was really cool. But I didn't really know exactly what it was until I took 225, the Crossroads class. And we had uh, our unit or our lesson on fine arts. And I saw uh, dancing and gamelan, and that just blew my mind. I was like, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen. (laughs) So, And then also, Dr. Jones, I remember you came to the class and was... Um, plugging your trip to Malaysia, okay. and I remember writing that down. I was like, "Okay, tip to know, I could possibly go to Malaysia, get closer to the Gamelan." <laughs> yes, <potentially>. yes. <laughs> so, and then after that semester, I took um, the Crossroads class. I did sign up for Gamelan, and then eventually did have the chance to. I went to Malaysia on your trip, and then I went to Bali after that trip, and that's where I was uh, yeah. introduced in person to Balinese Gamelan. How about you, Elizabeth? What was your first encounter with the gamelan? Oh, gosh. I was actually at um, summer camp in middle school. I don't remember if it was band camp or orchestra camp at Florida State University in my hometown. Um, And one of the electives that you could take outside of playing your instrument um, in Western classical (laughs) music was uh, you could do a world music ensemble. And so one time I took gamelan and one time I took steel pan. And basically, I forgot about it for years and years. It's funny to, you know, there are pictures of me playing right. when I was like 12. Um, and I didn't really get back into it until college and really grad school. Um, so it's it's funny. It, it chased me for quite a while before it stuck. Um, I first started playing more um, in a more focused way when I was a master's student at Florida State. And um, when we had a dancer arrived the fall that I began my doctorate, um, a dancer from Bali, I started working with her and became really interested both in the arts, but also the culture and having this personal connection really brought about a lot of questions for me about the transnational nature of gamelan and how it's lived not only in Indonesia, but has ended up in so many places across the world. Yeah. And I think the, uh, the uh, impact, I mean, I was, uh, I had, I grew up in a very small, uh, remote part of Wyoming and a ranch and had never been anywhere and uh, decided to go to Indonesia based pretty much on sort of National Geographic, like, this looks awesome. Like, um, and then my first day on the ground, like, get, got dragged, and this is this is even before the internet, Glennis, uh, um, get dragged to, uh, to uh, you know, in front of Prambanan, this gorgeous temple, like a ballet and dance and music like an all-night thing and I was already jet-lagged um and like I just remember like it feels like my mind like um 
the kind of overload of <laughs> of uh, sensory overload, like just my mind kind of reconfiguring, like I've never heard anything like this. It was so revolutionary. And like my mom was a music teacher, you know, but it was all Western exposure. And like, do some of your students are like, or, or your classmates are like, man, this is like so interesting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's new for many of them, um, but not all. And I think that's actually something we were talking about earlier today is that um, that generationally it seems to have changed a bit because um, I know for myself encountering gamelan, uh, all the instruments were hanging out in the same room with instruments from West Africa and from East Africa and down the hall from steel drums and... Um, Korean instruments. Right, and so at least people in those music programs would have seen. Yeah, so yeah. If, if you're in a, in a music program, um, I mean, it it felt like an all-you-can-eat buffet. Just <laughs> show up, fill up, and uh, I mean, that yeah. sounds a little cross uh, consuming culture, but you think about being, you know, 20, and suddenly there are all of these things that are open to you um, just by showing up in a place that has valued global music. Um it's and you know to think now that students actually have at least recordings at their fingertips before they even get to college, it's incredible for uh, those who know how to find those resources. And and we're going to talk a little bit about the kind of that that phenomenon itself. Um, and maybe since we're on the point, like of a, of a, you and others have mentioned, gamelan is a micro music. What does it mean for something to be a micro music? So I I take it to mean something that is not broadly popular. Um, but has a small number of passionate adherents um, who really are into musical culture. Um, and usually the term is applied to people who are not necessarily um, those who have uh, an ethnic or cultural religious connection. Um, so often groups that are, well, it can be sort of heritage musicians, but also those who have an affinity for something and end up um, being really passionately devoted to it. What what sort of groups does Gamelon um, reside in in the in the U.S.? You mentioned sort of universities are one place. Universities, um, there are Gamelons at the Indonesian embassies that are often um, you know they give lessons there as well, and there are a number of community based groups that aren't necessarily affiliated with universities, but that offer programming, and um, several of them perform on quite a high level. Um, so uh, those are ones who have even gone back and toured in Indonesia um, and are seen really as artistic artistic equals. And I can't help but me- mention, you said that, that uh, the Gamelon Monkey Chant makes an appearance at Burning Man. Uh, is that... <laughs> I was, I was I, I thought about that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, uh, well, and the, the a hazard of my profession is that um, you know working in Bali, um, I do get uh, I do get people who come to Gamelan from all kinds of directions, and it uh, is interesting yeah. when the first exposure is. Um, well, they don't, they don't tell me what else they're getting up to at Burning Man, but you know, I've heard enough Burning Man stories. I just imagine monkey chant and, you know, oh, this is amazing and digging deeper. Um, so there, you know, there are all kinds of ways to get into it. Um, and you know, we, at least in the university settings, we've got to keep it, uh, a little bit more staid than out in the desert, but (laughs) it is cool that that brings people in too. So, Glennis, you're around a lot of your your peers who are maybe um, in music program, uh, encountering gamelan for the first time. What are what are their uh, attitudes and and responses? Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, some people, or like me, they find it at first uh, visually. So, just seeing the gamelan yeah. room, like uh, sometimes I'm in the room and they're giving tours and. Uh, they show off the room. They're like, oh, this is the world music room. And you just see the looks on perspective students' faces. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, this is really cool. And yeah. then sometimes even I've, if I have friends that haven't um, seen or heard Gamelon before, I take them to the room and I ask them to play the big gong, like sitting between the gongs yeah. and just hit it. And they're like, they're like, what? And so the, I feel like visually Gamelon is really... Interesting, I think, at least for me and some of the other people that I've seen, um, that's something that draws them in, and as well as the auditory aspect of gamelan, as well. 
and I think as as I mean, you know, obviously we're all sitting around loving on Indonesia, and but for good reason. I think the 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 the, the instruments can be really works of art and big kind of visual tableaus there that that you know, and, and all instruments are sort of beautiful to look at, but there's something kind of. Uh, you know, sort of, sort of, sort of substantial and um, monumental about like a right, like it just feels like a. Well, it's uh, you know just to tantalize our listening audience a little bit. Ooh. If you can imagine um, two to three thousand pounds of shining golden hued percussion instruments housed in cases that are hand carved with scenes from nature and from epic mythologies and those are painted and gilded gr- and <laughs> yes painted yeah. and gilded and this is all set shimmering in front of you under the lights on a stage um that's the enticement of right. the visual with the performers wearing uh awesome loud batik uh often right <laughs> yeah or uh, you know the 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 balinese ones are you know it's ja- jackets and kind yes. and uh shimmery lace kabayas and yeah. yeah, it's quite it's quite a show, uh, that's for sure. Um, so, you're you're looking at part of what you're looking at is the uh, kind of how this how this form of music gets sort of taught and spread and and survives in outside of Indonesia as well as I- inside. When when does it first come to the U.S.? When is it when is it ex- when our American audience is exposed to the gamelan? So the the first documented exposure that we have, our first major exposure, is at the Chicago World's Fair in 1893. And that's um, really a, quite an, an immense thing to imagine, um, that uh, supposedly a, about a third of the American population at the time came to the Chicago Midway and um, saw these basically exhibits from exhibits of people and culture from all over the world. And one of these was, um, had, you know, featured gamelan. It was actually the Indonesia, well, not Indonesia exhibit, but Dutch East think Indies. Of, yeah. yeah. Dutch East Indies <laughs> exhibit, um, which is sponsored by coffee producers. Um, so it was a commercial enterprise, but it had all, you know, all these things. And to just imagine coming in from the train or, you know, riding on horseback into Chicago um, and seeing <laughs> right. all of these things is just amazing. So that's the first exposure. Um, but there are different waves over the years, including a really uh, phenomenal and impactful tour um, by a Balinese group in the 1950s. They ended up on the Ed Sullivan Show. So again, over a million wow. people watched. Um, is that online? I got to watch it that. It is, yes. Oh, man, and people, yeah, it's great. Um, uh, and you know, the first ensembles we get... Um, that are really brought over for people to play is in the, the late 1950s. Um, so that's the the earliest physical exposure that's accessible to um, American learners. You you raised it. I couldn't help think about um, kind of the public public consciousness and maybe when it enters of 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 world music and something to be studied that's not not sort of Western orchestral tradition um, and something that might seem trivial, but like you take a, a group like the Beatles who were so famous, like, um, you know, using sitar and, you know, being sort of uh, obsessed in not unproblematic ways with, with, uh, <laughs> with, with Asia. Um, like does, does do those things have an effect on kind of public perception or, or at least breaking exposure? Oh, absolutely. And I think it, you know, it, they're both different periods and relationships that um, Americans have had with the other. You know, certainly, Orientalism was popular at the end of the 19th and into yeah, the 20th yeah. century and took on new forms. Um, but I think it, you know, it really taps into a more global sense of human wonder that there's a fascination that not all people have, but many people have with the unknown and seeing something that's new and different. Um, and imagining uh, themselves in that place, and I think Gamelan really taps into that imaginary. I mean, I mean, for me, it was like I remember like th- this distinct thought running through my head, like h- how many other I had never heard anything like that. How many other things must there be out there that I have no idea about? Like this kind of like revelation, like oh my gosh, like there's probably how many worlds that I 
don't know about. I want to. <laughs> well, I want to yeah. know, right? Right. Well, and, you know, and I I think about that as um, I'm a great fan of fantasy and science fiction literatures also, and I you know I think it's it's not um, it's not a totally different impulse um, to really to want to think about how things could be different and what might else be out there. Right, and there's there there's this. Um, music tradition that's as sophisticated as anything in the uh, like Western orchestral, but, but derives nothing from it. You know, it's, it's, it's completely, you know, mm-hmm. not, um, not, that's really fascinating. I, 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 t- I tend to think we um, sort of the non-specialists would imagine that like, well, it kind of, you know, the, 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 like K-pop is a good example maybe where, oh, well, it's just, it's just, you know, Western music that's been changed and, you know, sort of a simplistic, uh, as where that's, n- that's obviously, uh, not, not the case, but something like Gamelon is just so obviously not, um, its own thing, you know? Yeah. It originates totally outside of the sphere of Western musical thought, um, but then can speak to it and combine with it in new ways. So, so how does, how does, how does Gamelon function in, in, in Bali in particular, sort of like, so what, it, what are its roles in, in society? Well, it's um, very prevalent in Balinese Hindu uh, cultural and religious life. It's used for special occasions, special occasions, uh, all kinds of ceremonies. Um, so I think that ritual function is really one of the things that keeps it very much as a, a, you know, a living tradition. Um, and, but in addition to that, there are also competitions, um, including ones you know that are just like high school groups from different villages competing against each other and to have the most over the top production. <laughs> uh, as you can imagine, that great you know eighteen year old testosterone kicking oh, yeah. in. Um, there are also um, large performances of traditional works, and there's also a very vibrant, uh, very vibrant scenes in what we think of like, like new music or kind of avant-garde new composition and also fusion with other forms of music, including popular musics. So it's, it's really, um, there's a full spectrum, but a lot of it is still very deeply rooted in tradition. And is it, is it, uh, is it not too much to say that it, even for the Balinese themselves, that they, they self-identify this as a, as an important part of identity? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, along with the specific Balinese religion, I think um, that would be number one most important. And then number two is the performing arts, and those are so interrelated. Um, it's almost the same. Right, yeah. Um, everyone should go to Bali, is what, I'm, is what I, I think we're all saying. Go to <laughs> Bali. That's what we're all saying. Patronize musicians. <laughs> How about, and this is maybe a question for both of you, uh, what, are, what are the, in, in the U.S. then, it obviously functions differently. What, like, what, what do you see its role and space in, in the United States, how it inhabits? Um, I see the the groups that I've seen are mostly in collegiate settings as well as community settings. So I feel like the role, especially in like a collegiate setting, there fulfills some requirement or credit for to experience other music so whether it is a world music credit or it is a small ensemble credit that it is um, musically and culturally um, getting people to experience another type of music and I feel like well that it does fulfill those roles and also with performing that it exposes uh, at least the audience in in a collegiate setting to the newer types of music, or not newer types of music, but different types of music. Um, I know from my own experience that that's happened to me. Um, I, I saw this, to me, new ensemble that I never heard of or seen before, and it exposed me to a new, a new way of looking at music and experiencing music and culture, and it hooked me on... Uh, learning more about Southeast Asia, learning more about Indonesia, learning more about music from other cultures. And I feel like it kind of has this role, at least in collegiate settings, to show um, experience, 
like doing something new and different and learning about different cultures because I think also that one of the roles or that experiences people have in college is to do something different and new than what they're used to doing. So having this, oh, you're going away to college, broaden your horizons. And I feel that's something that happens when you see Gamelon or participate in Gamelon. I don't know if I answered your question. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think so. How, what do you, what do you think, Elizabeth? How do you, how does it function? Oh, sure. Um, I think that Gamelon absolutely has a role in um, representing diversity within both um, music education and also a broader college setting. Um, it's been sort of criticized as, um, you know, as we described earlier, this visually flashy emblem to promote, you know, to show that one's diverse. So that's maybe the cynical side. Um, but I do think it really achieves that in a college setting, that it is some it is an approachable way for students to experience an entirely different type of sound world. Um, and so it does that. I think that there are some different functions in the community setting, which some of which mirror other kinds of community ensembles that exist otherwise in the U.S., you know, to gather people together, to do something social. These are not that different, actually, than some groups in Bali, which are certainly social enterprises, even as they prepare for certain types of upcoming performances. Gamelan has also made its way into other settings um, in the United States and other places outside of Indonesia. For example, there have been Gamelan programs in prisons, which have encouraged inmates to learn how to play Gamelan um, in order to foster cooperation and sense of community. Interesting. Uh, yeah. where, where, where at? I know there's some in England. Um, huh. I th- think there may be a few elsewhere. Um, but it was evidently, um, you know, in many ways quite successful to have them work together on a project that was um, where the positive cooperation was necessary to achieve the end result. And I think that's that's one of the powerful things, too, is that um, in a culture that does tend to be uh, more individualistic, the very obviousness of the need to work together is something that Gamelan brings out quite well. Uh, if one person's missing, then the whole group can fall apart. Yeah, and it's it's often described, you know, kind of wheels within wheels that there are these, you know, these it, it, rhythms that are that are um, interlocking and 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 patterns and and kind of every every player has a has an essential role but the it's not it's not as obvious like oh there's there's melody and there's harmony and here's like there there's uh, it's a i mean you have the better vocabulary to describe this than i do like how how does how does it it's it's so interesting um sonically how it comes together and and why what may how would a gamelan ensemble be different than a like a violin ensemble or something yeah, so there are different instrument families that tend to play different types of roles. Um, there's usually a core melody um, that's at more or less the beat level. And this is a generalization across different types because different types of ensembles work differently. There's core melody. Um, there's what's called a collatomic structure, which is a series of gongs or also slower moving pitches that punctuate the melody at different pitches or at different points in time, usually equally dividing up the melody. So if a melody um, exists and it's 16 beats long and it cycles, the gongs would repeat at, let's say, um, you know, they would divide the melody in half or in quarters or even further. Um, There are parts that elaborate, which are often interlocking in one way or another, but create uh, a musical texture on top of the melody. And then there are also parts that... um, govern the tempo or the the um, dynamics that um, often lives in the drum parts, you know, the, the drums of the ensemble. And so there are all of these layers that are decorating and embellishing the same melody, but um, really doing so in their own very distinct ways. It's a very textured and layered kind of music. And, and something that... Uh, um, in, in, in whether whether it's uh, and Glennis, you've probably had also, and, and Elizabeth have both have had, sort of neophytes come and try gamelan for the first time. It's a, it's a, it's an it is a music form. Parts of it are one where where a relative newcomer can actually make a make a decent sound on it with some training, um, 
the, the the barrier for entry is is pretty low in terms of um, working with a group, right? It wouldn't take years of practice to be able to uh, successfully participate in a gamelan ensemble. So at you know at a basic level, um, you can sit down and make a decent sound in one session um, and play you know play something very simple and feel satisfied with you've done something yeah, yeah you've done something you've learned something it sounded pretty good uh your cat didn't run away shrieking um but then of course on the other end to really play at a very high level yeah that's you know takes a lifetime to master <laughs> right what what are you what are your what do your classmates think about like uh their experience in a gamelan ensemble versus their other world music ensembles similar i think you when you were explaining the the barrier of entry, like how accessible it is when you first start playing. Um, I also think that like compared to other world music ensembles, there is a stronger sense of community that we're all, uh, this is something new to all of us and we're all working together and we all have oh, to in, play. In as the gamble a, on that's yeah. A so like, since it is a community based ensemble, like there's no solo sarong part. All right. Okay. You take the lead for these five, you know, measures and then next person comes in with the solo but it's they're all playing together it's a stronger community aspect whereas some of the other world music ensembles i've been in um that there is some more focus on the individual whereas gamelan is focused on the group how does how do you and some of your research has really delved into this elizabeth but who who is teaching the gamelan in in outside of indonesia and and maybe inside Indonesia as a comparison point of view? Oh, good. Um, there's a mix of people teaching in Gamelan in the United States. For example, there are um, people who are Indonesian or Indonesian-American who lead ensembles either as a portion of their primary job or sometimes in addition to some other um, paid work that they're doing in the U.S. There are also people from here, Americans or Canada, Canadians or in Japan, Japanese folks who are leading the ensembles as well. Um, And those leaders tend to have studied substantially with teachers either in the U.S. um, or their country of origin or have additionally traveled to Indonesia and undertaken study there. There's often a relationship between different programs as well because there are in fact, more ensembles than there are teachers. So there are a number of teachers who do, in fact, make a circuit and teach uh, more than one ensemble, especially teachers. There you go, Glennis. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Traveling gamelan yes. teacher. But I realized as much, I've only taken gamelan for six semesters, so three years. There is a lot I do not know. So <laughs> I need to spend more time on my, you know, 10,000 hours before. Do you think, do you think, um, you know, in the university context, like where do ad- administrators of say of, of music programs or do they, um, what do they think about the gamelan? Do they, uh, is it, um, you know, it, it, is it, is it, is it too expensive to, to get initially? Cause it's, you know, so much equipment. Is it, um, like, wh- what do you think the, have you, have you heard from various people what, um, uh, the, the people who may are making decisions about t- to have or to have not gamelan, what they think about it. Um, it's it can be a bit polarizing. They're the sets tend to be large. Um, they are expensive, sort of in an abstract sense. But I always point out the comparison to purchasing yet another grand piano because grand pianos quite easily yeah. run fifty to a hundred thousand dollars to get a good one. Um, and for that, you know, even the most expensive gamelan comes out yeah. at a... The uh, whole ensemble. Yeah, yeah the, the whole ensemble is yeah. less than a single grand piano. And for the number of students that you can teach um, on yeah, the gamelan, yeah, yeah. I think it's a bargain. Um, there are sometimes are complaints within music programs about the noise because they do <laughs> tend to be loud, um, some more than others. Uh, so you know when the gamelan's going. But a lot of administrators and decision makers really like them um, because of what they represent in terms of diversity um, and also in terms of what they represent in terms of, I think now as much 
global collaboration and the programs that mm. are set up really well. Um, studying world music gives you, I think, really a distinctive opportunity among the types of global study that you can pursue in college to make um, actual collaborative co connections with people in under other countries. Um, it's something where you are you are little, literally embodying different cultural values, which is something that you don't get as much reading out of a textbook. I, I can I can't think of many other ensembles that um, like you know when you're playing and and the director might say like okay you know if there are people in the audience that want to come up and 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 play on the instruments including the kids like you know come up and maybe still pan but also maybe I'll probably not, not like maybe but like. Like that's a common like the participatory part of gamelan is, and and then maybe the nature of the in instruments make it like not like hey you're you know take my cello and you know <laughs> you know five year old. Um. Well, it it mirrors actually how things are at least in Bali um, yeah. in the last you know the at least the last few decades where there are a lot of gamelans that are owned by um, village or neighborhood areas that are played in that group is that you know they're. They're out. They're present. In they sort of have like a neighborhood, like community center space. Yeah, like indoor slash outdoor. Right? They're, yeah, yeah, they're they're in uh, spaces that are publicly accessible, and so uh, that's not all ensembles. Some are more secluded, but uh, many villages have one that is out, and you know, after a performance, the kids can just come up and play on it. Um, so they often are people are not surprised, but maybe more delighted to see like. You know, a three-year-old sitting down has never actually formally studied is picking out the melody that they just heard the yeah. group play. Yeah. Do you hear that, administrators? Outreach, accessibility, <laughs> <laughs> community engagement. <laughs> yeah, these are all. It, it's and it's and it's right. I, yeah, I've seen that too in in Indonesia. It's quite. Um, it's just it's a lovely part of the sort of the, you know, the the flowing part of um, of the, the music is part of the lived experience of a lot of the people. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, how about the, you, you brought up um, kind of a devoted fan base of, uh, um, of, of some folks in the Gamelon um, world. Like, uh, why do you think that is? Why do you think they catch the bug and like, like I'm going to, there, there are friends that we have in the Friends of the Gamelon in Chicago that like, one guy's like, yeah, I think this is my 21th year in the, in, in the Gamelon, you know, ensemble. <laughs> Just community Gamelon, yeah. Glennis, do you have any thoughts? I think that uh, there is a lot of ways that, well, we were talking before, people get introduced to Gamelon. And that it's more than maybe just the music that they're into. That there's other... Um, cultural factors or other outside factors that um, keep them playing gamelan. So I think one of the things is like, you know, it is a community. You move to a new city, you don't have as many connections, you know you can play gamelan, join if there's a community gamelan group, great, you've already made a new set of friends, have a new extended, essentially maybe like musical family, um, that it is something that Maybe people uh, with people who are maybe more open-minded and interested in like knowing other parts of the world, and it's kind of a that that will probably be represented in that group better than. Yeah, others. and I think just from my own personal experience, though, as soon as I think I understand something about gamelan, I realize there's three other things that I didn't know. It's kind of like Hydra, you know. <laughs> I think I understand one aspect, and then all of a sudden, poof. There's three more things that I just realized I don't understand. So I feel like there's, in Gamelon, when we were talking about the um, level of entry, how you can start on a very basic level, but you can see how much you can progress. Like, it's not, you could stay at that basic level for, you know, your whole time, but you can also see everyone else who is playing at a higher level, doing more elaboration, working on instruments that are more challenging to them, that there is this huge area for growth. And that is something that um, can keep you on the Gamelon journey or keep keep going with that. I would absolutely agree that uh, that intense uh, togetherness and that realization that there's always something new to learn about in your quest in this music is 
I think, incredibly attractive for a lot of people. Um, and I think it's worth noting, too, how much that interest has really built into something that is quite distinctively American in its form, too. That even as Gamwon communities um, in the United States and other places uh, continue to be in contact with Indonesia and ideally get to you know continue collaborating with artists who are located in Indonesia, there's also something quite distinctive about um, the way that these groups bring in people and the niches that they've embodied in diaspora for the past half century that are really represent a new direction for Indonesian arts in the global sense. Well, that was my sort of going to my next question is how, how are these links to um, Bali kind of maintained and some of the exchange that goes, you mentioned, so, so some of the people come and visit um, as, as music instructors. What are the ways that those connections are sort of maintained between um, the ensembles outside of Bali and inside? Uh, certainly people going back and forth, um, doing continued study or people uh, coming from Bali to do residencies in the United States or you know Canada, other places. There's an increased amount of online traffic. So I felt, mm. especially during the pandemic, when um, people weren't as involved with their own sort of localities, it was interesting to see what was happening in other people's localities and to realize that, uh, yeah. you know, I, I um, even now I think, um, uh, well, it's, it's chair being a part of the global gamelan social media presence gives you a terrible case of fear of missing out because somebody's doing something cool at any given time. Um, and it's usually in some city that is on the <laughs> other side of the globe for me or the other side of the country. So those are, those are some good um, ways the connections are, are maintained. Um, I think some, you know, some programs and some artists are more intensely involved than others. And that's, um, you know, depends a lot on people's circumstances and also artistic inclinations as to if they're actively, you know, actively creating new works with artists in Indonesia or are more um, receptive for learning new things or are sending students or, you know, whatever it is. It's really based a lot on the interests and willpower of individuals. Maybe to put a kind of a face on what you're talking about, give us a sense of the trajectory of a of a performer and teacher like Imade um, Lasmawan. Like, what would what would uh, give us a sense of who he is and kind of his journey? Maybe is how typical or atypical it is of this kind of music outside of Bali. Absolutely, uh, Imade Lasma has been one of my major teachers and was a major informant for my book, and. Um, I think he's in some ways very representative of, and also quite distinct from in some ways, um, members of his own generation of teachers. He was born in 1958 and was educated primarily artistically in his village of Banga until the high school level, where he went to the High School Conservatory of the Arts in, um, in Bali and then proceeded to undergraduate and master's level study in Surakarta, Java, which that was quite unusual for the time. There were not very many people island hopping for the degrees. And so he was able oh. to go there okay. by, um, he was both studying Javanese gamelan and also teaching th their Balinese gamelan classes. Did uh, that make it more prestigious back home or less? Or was oh, that part I, of the concern? I think, I'm sure it was. Yeah, right, uh, absolutely. Sort of, sort of traveling around and yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's, uh, I'll get back to that in a minute. So, you know, he was there through the 1980s and um, came to the United States at the beginning of the 90s. He was invited to uh, University of San Diego and stayed there for several years before making his way out to Colorado, where his uh, primary employer was Colorado College. And then he also, he and his wife, and eventually the help of his sons as they grew up, um, taught gamelans throughout that entire region in um, Colorado Springs and Denver, all the way out into Wyoming and Montana and beyond. Um, and then eventually flying, you know, flying to do residencies everywhere else. Um, and he helped co-found um, as almost or around two dozen 
gamelan ensembles in the United States. Wow. Uh, so quite a quite a legacy. Um, at the height of his travel for his career, he was driving about a thousand miles a week, um, making a circuit to different colleges and uh, teaching wow. teaching music. Um, but fortunately, he has built such a strong community in his area that many of those ensembles now are places he still goes as a guest, but are taught by either his sons um, or his American students who have uh, taken over being the primary teacher. So he's, he's built his next generation. Um, and I think all of those, whenever he decides to retire, we will all be very sad, but um, all of those groups will continue to be in good hands. Put in a plug for, is it the Rocky Mountain Gamelon Ensemble? Rocky Mountain Gamelon Festival, which is the next weekend. Um, and uh, a wonderful celebration of gamelons in the Rocky Mountain area. I definitely going to go to that sometime. That is, so it's it's usually in April? Uh, it's Actually, it's it's not recurrent, but I hope, they, I hope this one uh, this year is such a success that they do it again. Because um, next weekend it'll be, I think... Um, half a dozen concerts and a number of workshops that are open to for free for local participants and um fab, you know fabulous events s sponsored by um the folks out in denver so very much looking forward to it so that's in denver it's in denver yeah, yeah wow red rocks where uh where are you guys performing? <laughs> <laughs> so uh it's um I think there are various venues downtown it's um it's hosted by msu but um it's uh, Metropolitan State uh, University, but that's great. Oh well, and to um, to cut back to Les Moen's career, you know how typical is that? He's not the only one who's done that. There are teachers who um, many of the programs in the United States were founded and maintained by um, teachers. For example, the the Winton Newman um, and Nanik Winton out in California, who've been there. Now newly retiring, um, but they've been there from the 1970s, and also folks out in Illinois and out on the East Coast as well. There are a number of teachers who have taught here for several decades. How do you think the how does the government of Indonesia perceive gamelan as part of its uh, sort of uh, cultural influence, soft soft diplomacy? Um, what 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 do you, what do you think it, it in, what spaces inhabit in kind of the mind of sort of Indonesian f uh, sort of foreign ministry? Oh, it's absolutely um, an asset to the you know, cultural diplomacy, soft power initiatives, which is, I think, um, a very a very positive thing on the whole. It's seen as an emblem of all of Indonesian culture, which is uh, well, you know, something that would be d it's difficult to determine what should be representing Indonesia, given the absolute diversity of ethnic groups, languages, musical ensembles. But um, Gamelan has uh, occupied that niche for several decades. And I think the Indonesian government is absolutely supportive of this effort um, and really sees it as something quite distinctive. So several years ago, when the gover Indonesian government applied for uh, gamelan to become recognized by UNESCO as intangible uh, global heritage, uh, global cultural heritage. The um, opening speech, which was given by one of the government ministers, specifically highlighted the popularity of gamelan and gamelan ensembles around the world as a reason that this ensemble, you know, the set of ensembles should be recognized. Um, that is a bid that was pres presented not only on behalf of the people of Indonesia, but all of the people around the world who are devoted to this music. Um, and it was finally went through and was recognized within the last year. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think of the, what do you think of the future of, where do you see Gamelon, um, its, its influence, its performance, its, its spread? What do you think, what do you, if you look in your crystal ball, what do we see in the future? Well, I'm not sure we're going to get to uh, top 10 radio or streaming in the U.S., um, <laughs> although you never know. Um, but I think that there's a lot of space in the Gamelan world for innovation. And I think that 
there's an increasing perception both inside Indonesia for Indonesian artists and outside Indonesia for artists interested in gamelan that it is part of a shared global heritage that though having uh, roots in specific historic and cultural contexts and um, having need to be respectful of those also has the opportunity for an infinite number of new lives outside of Indonesia and in dialogue with other types of artistic works. So I hope to see uh, the manifestation of that philosophy, just excited to see all the creative new works that my colleagues come up with um, and hope to get to join and play along. The music sensation sweeping the nation. <laughs> that would be awesome, actually. Come along. Well, I can't uh, can't thank enough. Uh, thanks, Glennis, for joining us. And, uh, of course, Elizabeth, uh, uh, come back again, and uh, we should uh, we should uh, make some music on, on, on Mike. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. We would like to give thanks to Tantracoon for the use of his track, Electric Can, and a thanks to our audio producer, Amelia McCoy. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you tune in next time. <laughs>